Well, one time, one of my friends, sort of, sort of sensing that uh, I didn't have anywhere productive to be, says, uh, hey, why don't you, I'm, I'm, I'm only a few hours away from home, why don't you come home with me for the holidays? And I said, oh man, yeah. He says, our, our family has a lot of fun. And I said, yeah, immediately, as soon as he asked me. But the longer I thought about it, the more it bothered me. This guy constantly played practical jokes, constantly. So much so that when he would come around, you would get immediately nervous. Think about Brett Carver on um, steroids. Uh, just uh, You didn't hold a candle to this guy. And uh, it, it had uh, taken a confrontation for him to stop doing so many practical jokes to me. But uh, the more I thought about this invitation, I said, man, is this whole family like this? I mean, you know, can I handle going over here to hang out with these people? And I just honestly wasn't sure. And the longer I went, the more my apprehension, uh, you know, rose up in me. And finally the time came and we went. And from the moment we got out of the car and stepped into their driveway and walked in the door, I was nervous. I was, you know, nervous, as, as the saying goes, as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. And, and, uh, and everything was so normal. Like, he was even acting normal. And his parents turned out to be kind of normal people. Like, they had fingers and eyeballs and teeth and stuff. And, and, uh, and, and uh, his mom, they, they started passing around presents. And uh, I'm that guy who I want everybody to tear them open at one time for the simple reason I don't want anyone watching me. But they were one of those families where everybody opened them one at a time. And they would say all this to all the, all, And they had given me the gift. And I was just absolutely sure it was a fire-breathing iguana that would jump out of the package and eat my neck off. Because I'm with this guy and I'm with his family. And I opened the book, of, uh, uh, the, the present, about as gingerly as, you, as I ever opened one. You know, you know, and turns out it was, it was just a book and it was no tricks. And... and uh, and because, because I was so amped up emotionally, I, I was able to, to really be in the moment and appreciate that gift like I haven't appreciated many other gifts. And it was a book. And it turns out this guy's parents were Christians. I was not a Christian. And it was basically a man's testimony. And I read it and I loved it. And I've always treasured that gift. You know, I, I think a lot of times at Christmas, we get the opposite thing about Jesus. In the middle of all the stuff going on, you know, rather than it amping us up to really get close to Jesus, a lot of it drowns Jesus out. Um, and I don't think that there's anything evil in and of itself when we talk about lights and tinsels and trees and stockings and Hallmark movies. There may be something intrinsically evil about those. <laughs> they are still under investigation. But by the time we celebrate the so-called holiday season here in America, a lot of times our senses for spiritual um, things have been so dulled that what we've found that we long for was the sentimentality, and in so doing we've drowned out the Savior. What can be doubly tough is for we believers, a lot of times we concentrate so much on all the details around the coming of Jesus, that we miss the power of the coming of Jesus. So over the next few weeks, with a, with this is an introduction representing myself and Casey and Brett and 
and the few verses we're going to unpack over the next few weeks, we're attempting not, not to take away from the stories of the manger and the wise men and the angels and Gabriel and Elizabeth and Zechariah and John the Baptist. We're not attempting to take away from those things, but we want to hone in on Jesus because our senses are so much distracting us. So much. So our main idea today is this, the story of a struggling family giving birth to a baby in adverse circumstances is interesting, no doubt. But the larger, more impactful truth to receive during Advent is that God himself has come to us. Now, I, we're not going to preach all the way through John, but I feel like I have to give some bit of context to these opening verses and to the Gospel of John let me say these few thoughts really quickly. Conventional scholarship tells us John wrote his gospel to fill in important truth about Jesus that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were not led of the Holy Spirit to include. Secondly, it was clear that John's gospel, sort of like Luke's, was, was much more to a Greek audience. The gospel was going out to non-Jewish ears, and there needed to be a Greek type message and God commissions John under the power of the Holy Ghost to give us the good news for non-Jewish ears. Thirdly, and we know this from a church father with a funny name, name his name is Irenaeus, 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 either one's okay. He says in his book Against Heresies, in book number three, that John's gospel is definitely given to us as a gift to combat heretics. Particularly, there were two huge heresies going on in the 4th century. And that one was that Jesus wasn't fully God. And another was that Jesus wasn't fully man. And God gives us the Gospel of John written some hundreds of years before those controversies. Like 240 years before those controversies to already settle the question. But to me, to me, and let me say to me. To me, the most important thing about the Gospel of John actually is told us in John chapter number 20 in verse 31. Uh, let me read 30 with it. Um, Shannon, am I, am I clicking this thing? I don't know how to do it. Okay, great. Praise God. We got all this new technology, and I'm still just me. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, y'all look at this. If you will, read this with me. Can y'all see it up there? Yeah. Read this with me, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have what? Life in his name. Whoa! So all these other things the Gospel of John does, I think that's the most succinct truth about the Gospel of John. Or I like how Richard Phillips succinctly said of the Gospel of John something similar. He said this, it is a treasure provided by God himself as the Spirit moved the beloved disciple to show us Jesus as Savior and divine Son so that we might believe and be saved. Brothers and sisters, a lot of times the world tells, tells us that you've got to have blind faith to be a Christian. Hogwash. Hogwash. What you have is highly probable faith. It is the most sensible framework, the most sensible philosophy, the most sensible worldview on the face of the planet. 
And as the book, which I love by the same title, says so succinctly, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Likewise, I don't have enough faith to be a Hindu. I don't have enough faith to be a Muslim. I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith to be an unredeemed Jew. But I do have enough faith to be a Christian. You know why? Because God himself has stepped into our reality and says, this is me, and I'm here for you. And to me, that is the most important thing we can remember at Christmas time. That God himself stepped into our reality and said, this is me, and I'm here for you. Let's read John chapter number 1, beginning at verse number 1, and follow through verse number 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, open this word to us that we might draw near to Jesus. In Christ I pray, amen. Now, just in case I lose my cotton-picking mind, which y'all have seen me do enough times here, and don't make it through this whole sermon, let me make it through this whole sermon up front. There's five things I want to say, and if I don't say these five succinct sentences, if you don't get them all by the end, you've got them all up front, it is this. We are given Jesus the divine word. We are given Jesus the saving word. We are given Jesus God's word for us. We are given Jesus who is life, and we are given Jesus who is the light of the world. Now, if I don't get to say all of those, I've said them. Let me go back and cover them a little bit. John Piper would suggest to us that in studying or preaching on on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, he would say we just do it backwards. We should start with verse number 5. When I read that, it struck me, and then I read all his other comments on this passage, and I, I thought, wow, that's a neat concept. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcoming. And this is what Piper says. Piper says, Piper says this, while, while we have light, and the darkness can't overtake the light, then we should understand everything else by the light. And I thought, man, what a wonderful saying. Because it's just true. Unless Jesus has become your light, you don't understand these other big truths. In other words, he's got to light the way to the other truths. And that thought captured me, but I'm not going to preach like that. But I see a sensibility of it, and I want it to seed it into your mind. In John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. It makes more sense what Piper says. He's saying, like, you, you're in darkness, but I've come so that you don't have to stay there. Um, and so, so, let's look at these five big statements I've made and try to bring some sense to as many of them as I can in a sensible amount of time. We are giving Jesus the divine word. Now, I want to tell you all something. This, this, this idea right here, has been the res has resulted in in more cults than any other thing in the world. I mean, you you know, you got you got whole entire cults who are based off of switching this passage up. You, you got some that if you were to take their copy of the scriptures, it would say things like this. It would say, "In the beginning was the word, was a word." That's what it say, a word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. In uh, in other words. 
quite simply, quite simply, they say Jesus is one among many. Well, that totally goes against a place like John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only, what's that next word? Hmm. Well, actually the word is monogenes. Y'all didn't know that? God gave his unique son, one of a kind, no other anything like him. And if you would just look at the scripture clearly in one place, it will often make it clear in many places. This is not just some guy. He's not just some God. He's not just something right above an angel. This is God of very God. The Bible says in the beginning was the word. Does that sound like any other place in Scripture to you guys? Absolutely. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. John 1-1, in the beginning was the Word. You know what this tells us? This actually talks about Jesus' divinity and gives us these huge pictures into the Trinitarian Godhead right here in these simple-to-read English words. In the beginning, you know what that tells us? That when creation was made, Jesus already was. The Word existed before creation existed. So Jesus existed before creation began. Jesus is part of the uncaused first cause. He is indeed the mono geni logos, the very unique word of God, and he's been there since before forever began. Also, it tells us he's with God. If you were to go back and look at the whole of Genesis chapter 1, I don't even know. I didn't count. Maybe I should have. 8, 9, 10, 11 times. In Genesis 1 alone, it says, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. And we're told now that Jesus is the Word who was with God. You see that? That's fellowship. That's that Trinitarian hint. He's with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Son with God the Father. He's not lonely. He's personable. He has personality. He has someone to fellowship with. This is high theology packed in simple English words. But here's what I find very exciting in this season. If the Word was with God, and the Word was with God, and if the Word is the Son, and the Son is with the Father, and the Father desires that sun and moon be made, that plants be made, that water be made, and little fishies and puppy dogs. If He desires that we have coconuts, whether you like them or not, He likes them. And if he, he says, you know what, we're going to have a three-toed sloth and a jackrabbit. We're going to have a whale and a prong. Then out of the desire and the mind of the Father, the Word being present with him, executed the will of the Father. You see that? In fellowship, the Word executed the Father's desire. The Father wanted there to be light. So you know what he said? Let there be light. And there's the sun. There's the word. Light! Not only was he there in the beginning before creation was made, not only was he with God, this tells us very clearly right here that he was God. You know, these days we have so many so-called New Testament scholars who tell us that Jesus was not even considered divine until the Council of Nicaea and in 320 or 325, whenever that was. Um, to that, I say my typical 
Greek rebuttal. Hogwash. You know, just a few years ago, you had all that controversy based out of a fiction book that suddenly was made to sound real by Dan Brown. Some of you guys remember that. Um, movies were made about it and all that kind of stuff, the Da Vinci Code. And, you know, it would be great if it was just a funny movie to watch, but it was just stupid otherwise, unfounded. But you don't have to go so far as Hollywood to find such fiction. You can hop in your car and head 35 miles over to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. Katie's a student there. And there's a professor of New Testament theology there who doesn't even believe Jesus was God. Takes more time to explain away the scriptures than he does to just sit with them. You know what you call that, right? Hogwash. You can take a class, but you better watch out what you receive in it. Amen, Casey? If you want to know about that experience, sometimes just interview Casey. Casey, Casey was a, uh, you majored in, tell everybody, I don't forgot already, but religious studies at Carolina. Casey said it actually made him sharper. It made him look, made him ask good questions and seek the truth, and not, just, not just textbooks answers, but the truth. But, you know, parents who are sending your kids off to school, that is the norm, right? That's the norm. But when you open the scriptures, he says, before anything was, Jesus was. And where was he? With the Father. Before anything was, he was with the Father. In fellowship, executing the Father's desires. And why was he there then? Because he was God. Do you see this? This is a divine word that God gives us when he sends Jesus. I love, I love that the Gospel of John starts off with howitzer shots right off rip. Boom, boom, boom. This is our God. And when we think of this little baby in the manger, we also ought to think of the Christmas carol that tells us up front, Lord at thy birth. Toward the end of John, toward the end of John, what we get in proclamation in the beginning of John, we get with, with ex experience at the end of John. Old Thomas finally has to touch his risen body. And Thomas's quote in John 20, 28 is, My Lord and my God. This is a divine word. And when you see the full manger, you're looking at heaven and an empty throne, but only for a season. This God is God, and he's come to be with us, and he's saying, hey, this is me, and I'm here for you. Secondly, we are giving Jesus the saving word. The saving word. What did he come to do? In the beginning, he was with God. And all things that were made through him and without him was not anything made. You know what it tells us in Colossians? They weren't just made by Jesus and through Jesus. You know what else? Anybody want to take a guess? I saw you, Robert. I saw you. They're made for him. And when Jesus comes and God shows up in our midst and he says things like, hey, you know, there was this lady who lost a coin. And what did she do when she lost that coin? She swept the whole house. It about made her crazy. I got to find that coin. Now, if she'd have been as faithful as Barbara Tuck, Barbara Tuck lose some. She just started asking God. She don't clean the whole house. She just sits down. Said, "Lord, I ain't got time to clean the whole house. If you could tell me where my keys are, and the Lord will tell you, won't he, Barbara? Can you tell you how many stores she? She said, I just asked the Lord. One time it was her purse. Weren't the whole purse? But that's faith right there, right? She says, the Lord knows everything. He knows where my keys are. My purse is right." 
That lady, she said, I got to find this coin. She cleaned that house. But then, then you know what he says? He says, uh, you know, what about that one little sheep? A guy's got 100 sheep, and he knows where 99 of them are, but he's missing one. What does that shepherd do? Goes and finds that one. See, the power of Advent is that it was made through him and by him. It was also made for him, and if it's separated from him, he's interested in it. In it. I get chills to think about that. I literally had chills saying it. Hmm. This is our Savior. This is our God. And it's God coming to save. His name, Yeshua, God saves. You'll call him Emmanuel, God with you. His name will be Yeshua, God saves. He come to be with us to save us. It's a saving word. I go back to that thought from John chapter 20, just to remind you, John says in plain speech, as you can say, this word, this word, this gospel, and I would maintain this whole word is written. Why, church? Tell me why. Why is it written? So that you may believe in him, and believing you'll do what? Have life. Man. I, I do think the Bible has rules, commandments to not do and to also do. And some people, that's as close as they ever get to life. They struggle by themselves in the flesh to do and not do. But he's come to give us life. It's a saving word. Someone has asked me before, saved from what? Oh, so much. Here's a sample. Saved from the clutches of Satan. Saved from the death of the body. Saved from eternity of separation from God. Saved from self. You ever thought about you need saving from yourself? I walk into a bookstore, I ought to cry, Lord, save me from myself. And if I can fail like that in a bookstore, imagine how many other ways I can fail. I walked into a store yesterday that had about 20,000 different things in it, and about 100 of those were books. I came out with exactly seven books out of those 100,000 things. Lord, save me from myself. It's how we are. This is a saving word. Jesus is sent to save. Thirdly, we're given Jesus and he's God's word for us. Because Jesus was sent to save us and because he sent to us as the word, then this is God's word to us. He is God's word for us. He reveals the Godhead to us in clearest realities. I think probably the writer of Hebrews could say it much more succinctly and better than I could. This is how Hebrews chapter 1 reads. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Brothers and sisters, the coming of Christ is the most important thing to ever happen. It's the most important thing to ever happen. And nothing is more important than our relationship with God. Jesus came to make that not only possible, but think about this, not only possible, but intimate. Do you see the difference in that? If you don't, then go meet your favorite famous person sometime. Some dollars can make it possible, 
but what would it take to make it intimate? I'll never forget 1995, Atlanta Braves won the World Series, and some of the players decided to come to a card show on the, on the state fairgrounds up there in Raleigh, and, and I went. And uh, you could pay X amount of dollars, and, and, and I did, and I, I'm trying to remember who was there. This is how meaningful it was now because I paid the dollars, and now I can't I, I, I definitely remember Ryan Klesko was there, maybe Javier Lopez and whatever. But, you know, I paid that money. So it was possible. It was possible to meet them. But whatever the price it was that got paid, it didn't make me able to be intimate with them. I didn't get to sit down and share stories about how my Little League home runs was just as significant as their World Series home runs. And it was sign and go. Not even a caramel or a cup of coffee. See, Jesus shows up and shows us God, but then says, let me put you in relationship with the Father, and then let me make it real, real good. Fourthly and quickly, we are given Jesus who is life. Now, make no mistake about it. All life is in Jesus, whether it's physical or biological. As Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have, his, our, our, have our being. That, that, you know, he is life. But I, I want to be clear. It's not just this physical or biological sense that John is talking about here. Absolutely, John is directly speaking of spiritual life. And not spiritual in some vague sense, but eternal life that cannot be extinguished. Consider, if you will, a couple of verses from John chapter 3. John 3.16, quoted earlier, says this, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. What's his goal here? His goal is to break down the wall of hostility and bring peace between man and God to pay the debt of sin, to kill the hatred of wrath, to restore man to his maker. If you don't think God will get on your britches, you don't know him. But if you think his goal is to get on your britches to drive you away, you don't know him. He chastens whom he loves. What is his goal? His goal is that we might have life. I love John 3.36. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. See, see, brothers and sisters, it's not just eternal life, but it's a quality of being eternally with God and not eternally separated from God. And when we think about this baby in the manger, this is what he come to do. Not just to give us eternal life, but to give us eternal quality life. Let me see if I can explain that. Everybody's got an eternity. You ever thought about that? The regenerate have an eternal quality of life. They're living forever with God. The others that are raised for eternity, they live, they, they, they exist eternally away from God. John 3.36 says his wrath remains on them. If you don't like God, you won't have him. He's not going to put himself on you forever. What he'll do is subtract everything that is of him and leave you with everything that's not of him and it'll remain on you forever. When that little baby comes, it does create a lot of cute stories for the season, but more than anything, 
He sent His Son to give us life, eternal life, forever life, eternal life that's good life. And through Jesus, God's life comes to us. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The psalmist would say it like this, He's a tree that's planted by streams of water. The prophet would say it like this, He he would say there's going to come this time, if you see there in verse 44, excuse me, verse 33, I will put my law with them and I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. This is intimate relationship. He's downloading himself to us. He's giving us his mind. He's showing us the way. So they'll be my people. They'll, They'll no longer even have to teach one another saying, go this way and don't go the way. Know the Lord. And they'll know him from the greatest to the least. Isn't that beautiful church? This is what Jesus came to bring us. You know, my family, they all, they got me down pat. Every week, whether it's Katie or Care or Katie and Care, it's rarely me or Rachel, to tell you the truth, they go to the grocery store. I go to get something for me, they go to get something for us. That's the way that works. But they know me, they'll say, do you want anything? And sometimes I'll say something, most times I just say, no. But you know why? Because they, they bring me what they know I like. And they'll come in the house, you know, and they'll, they'll have it already out of the back. They'll just flash the chocolate mousse tracks to me. Or I like that Simply Lemonade. I love it, man. I like, I, you know, I really like that strawberry. I like that regular or whatever, the, the, the ordinary. They'll just come by and show me the jug. Or they'll say, you know, we have a refrigerator outdoors. They'll say, you got a jug of lemonade out there. Right? You know why? Because they know me, and they want good for me. And I don't even put it on their list, but they put things on their list for me that I don't even have the desire to put on them for myself. If we could see Christmas that God was putting stuff on our list that we would never put on for ourselves, and he's given us a taste of the present now. But brothers and sisters, his fullness is coming, and we'll never regret it. The poet, I think, would say it like this. Now, this is a little... Strong, but I think this is how the poet would say it. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house. Read it with me, church. And his banner over me was love. Read it again. And his banner over me was love. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. Wise men, Gabriel, Herod, Elizabeth, Simeon, Zechariah, Anna, John the Baptist, all the characters paraded before us. You know what? It's good to study those things. It's good to recount those stories. It's good to unfold the mystery of the nativity. It's good to see how God could take the stars and align them to lead men to, to toddler Jesus. It's awesome, and we should never stop doing that. But let us, in looking at those things, keep our focus on this truth that he came to save sinners. And I'll agree with Brother Paul, among whom I am chief. And what story did he come to write over this chief of sinners' heart? His banner over me is what, church? Love. Fifthly and very quickly, we are given Jesus who's the light of the world. Now, I want y'all to laugh. This is the uh, 18th and last slide. 
but it was until about 4 o'clock, the 63rd and last slide. <laughs> it really was. I feverishly, at the behest of the Holy Ghost, said, cut it down, boy, cut it down, and I did. When he says that he's the light, I think we could, honestly, for 45 slides, talk about that without losing any. Let me give you three thoughts on this to close. What does light do? It reveals sin. It shows us what's up. Thank God for it. We are living in spiritual darkness because we're, we started out dead in our trespasses and sins and we're lacking understanding. Our hearts are deceitful. Young people, somebody ever tells you to follow your heart, just say to yourself politely, to you, no, I don't think so. <laughs> the light of Jesus shows us what's right. And that's why it's such a sin to reject him. He says the greatest sin is rejecting him. Because he's the one that's showing you the greatest truth. Light also warms the sinner. We're brought out of the coldness of separation into the light of God. And light also guides the redeemed. Like Psalm 119, 105 says, he's a, he's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Amen? But perhaps what gets me most excited about Jesus being the light of the world is that he causes us to see God. Wow. Do you know, when the angel, when the angel exhorted Mary to not be afraid and to believe, when the angel convinced Joseph to trust in the plan of God, when the angel had astronomers staring at stars, when the angel moved some Roman official's heart, call for a census at just that moment in history when God Almighty looked across the scope of what we call time and says this is the moment when he sent his son when he sent his son to be our light to be our life to be a saving word a divine word he sent Jesus Brothers and sisters, whatever else we might look at, even from the scriptures over Christmas, don't lose sight of this truth. And I haven't even begun to talk about all the other stuff. I'll let you mamas and daddies wrestle with that without <clears throat> tossing the bedpan in the cornflakes. There's a ton of things that I truly believe are seemingly innocent tools of Satan to draw us back from this saving truth. But the light is coming to the world and darkness does not overcome it. Later on in John, the condemnation is that light came into the world and men rejected it. Anybody know why? The Bible says because they love the darkness. But you know what? Finally speaking, and here's where 10 of these slides went. I'm going to give it to you in a paragraph. <laughs> The light won't overcome Jesus. You know how I know it? Because one day the sun will be done, the moon will be gone, and God himself will be our light. One of the best five songs anywhere on the face of this planet, God gave to Andrew Liggett and a little, I, I just say a little CD. I know I'm not talking about it right, but that five-track CD, 
in the night. One day, one day we're going to see that the light has not been overcome by the accumulation of all of man's darkness. One day he will be to us a light by day and a light by night and never again will we have a dim vision of his throne. Never again will we see through a glass darkly. And brothers and sisters, when we think about Christmas, I beg you, don't think about it just as a cute time to get together with family and wear bells for earrings and stuff. See it as God stepping into your reality and saying, this is me, and I'm here for you. Do you know him today? How do you respond to this? The claim is so fantastic in the minimum, you have to investigate it. If you have investigated it in the minimum, you should celebrate it. It should ignite your heart. Singing about him should be absolutely no problem. Celebrating him should be our joy because he is the life that gives light to men. He's the Savior. That little baby, that little baby, you know what he was? He was born a king at birth. May your advent be filled with life and light. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you at the fullness of time you sent forth your son to be born of a virgin. But when you sent your son, you sent an already existing son who was before anything was. And he was with you. And he is God. Give us vision to see. Give us light. Help us to reject the darkness we love and to embrace the light that you have sent. In Jesus we pray, amen. Maybe you happen to be sitting here and you've, you've never, you've never, you've never received him. You know, the Bible says if you believe on the name of Jesus, that means you say all his works are for me. His death on the cross is a substitution for me. His poured out blood is payment for my sin. His, his, his descent into darkness was for me. His defeat of death was for me. His ascension back to his throne was for me. His sending of the Holy Ghost is for me. To believe on the name of Jesus, I believe everything he did was for me. And then to receive him and say, I want you to be L-O-R-D, Lord. Lord. But you know what the Bible says? If you believe on that name and receive him, you will be given the right to be called the sons, and I could say easily, the daughters of God. He was sent to save. Do you know him today? Have you, have you, have you, have you believed on him in quiet in some place? And have you made him known? Because you know what else it says in the Bible? You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Have you obeyed him by following him into the grave? How do we do that? We get baptized. We show that our sin has been put to death and our Savior has come to give us life. We get buried and resurrected, and we do it in front of folks because we want to testify. Is that light in you? Is that light God in you? I want us to treasure Jesus this Christmas. I can't lie. 
I want you to enjoy all the other stuff too. I want you to watch Elf and laugh. I want you to eat your favorite dessert until, until you've had too much. I'm no grump. I want you to have a good time. But I don't want us to miss this. Do you know him today? Andrew?